Welcome to Fate's Wide Wheel, a Quantum Leap podcast with Sam and Dennis. We are coming to you from our top secret headquarters at Project Quantum Leap, but you can find us online at fwwquantumleappod.com or follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Fate's Wide Wheel. And please do us a favor by hitting the subscribe button on iTunes. Hello, everybody. Hello, welcome to Fate's Wide Wheel. This is a very special episode, isn't it, it Dennis? It, it is a very special episode. It is our namesake. It really, yeah. It, it all it all goes back to this episode. So, um, we could have been somewhere in the night, a Quantum Leap <laughs> podcast with Sam and Dennis. We could have, as, as Larry Ganey suggested, we could have been Rock the Redhead, a Quantum <laughs> Leap podcast with Sam and Dennis. But no, we are we are Fate's White Wheel, a Quantum Leap podcast with Sam and Dennis, and we here are. we are. And, you know, it's funny because when we were trying to decide on a title for the podcast, it was sort of the, the first one I know that I was like, I really want this to be the name. And, and But we didn't want to jump right into it because, you know, we wanted it to be the right title. And and it took us, it took us what, about a week or so to really... About a week to decide. It was, it was pretty much, it was between this and Oh Boy, mm-hmm. a quantum mm-hmm. podcast. Um and we felt like Oh Boy was a little bit too corny, a little bit too on the nose. Sure, right. Uh, and then, yeah, this was your idea. And then I, I was afraid that this would be a little bit too obscure. Sure. But then I figured, what the hell, if we're doing a Quantum Leap podcast, <laughs> we're, we're already in obscure territory, so let's just... Uh, let's, let's steer into it. Yeah, let's just, let's just lean into that. And I have a lot of feelings about how, especially after rewatching this episode, how... I I separate this song from the episode entirely. Yeah, I I you know it's funny. I, I feel the same way. I don't know if we're going to have the same feelings, but I do get exactly what you're saying with that because in a in a way, not quite as much. I feel like this is maybe only by a hair, but it's a stronger episode. But it, it, the same way when we were talking about Piano Man, about how it's, you know, we're just waiting for somewhere in the night, <laughs> this mm-hmm. episode feels a little bit like that as well. Um, yes, I, I have the same thought. But I do think that there are moments in the episode that rise to the occasion. I really do. Um, well, let's find out what those <laughs> moments are. <laughs> well, we're, well, we'll we'll get there. Um, but as far as as far as like first impressions go, memories memories of the episode. Um, like, where are you on that? Uh, like I said, to me, um, the episode itself minus the song, I don't remember it making that strong of an impression on me. Outside of the song itself. And, sure. then, and then the song, like I thought it was cool, you know, you know, hearing it in the episode. Uh, but where it really caught on for me was when they released the soundtrack. Yeah. And they had the complete song on the soundtrack, and I think that must have been, I think, like the summer of '93. I think it was like almost like either right before or right after the series was canceled. Yeah. And uh, just listening to it over and over again on the soundtrack and. Uh, we'll play it here in a little bit. Uh, we play the. By the way, uh, if you never stick around for the full uh, episode of our shows, uh, Sam always tacks on Fate's Wide Wheel in its entirety on at the end of every episode. Uh, but in case you, uh, if you never stick around to the end of the episode, that's perfectly fine. I don't stick around to the end of most podcast episodes either. <laughs> um, 
there is a second verse to the song mm-hmm. that you don't hear in the TV episode uh, that will that will play for you here in a little bit. Um, uh, like I said, for for me, it that's that's it. Um, I don't know. Maybe, maybe we'll we'll drop it in here pretty soon uh, because there was a moment. And I was telling you about this before we hit record. Uh, me and my friend John, we uh, we drove around one night. So we're like 15, 16. Uh, and he really liked the song. We used to play this one in Somewhere in the Night all the time. Yeah. And we could never figure out what the last lyric of the second verse was. And we kept listening to it over and over and over again. And then John finally figured it out. Yeah. So maybe this is a good moment to, to, to drop in that second verse right now. And if you're not familiar, see if you can figure out what the last lyric of the second verse is. We all begin this life alone. We live, we love all through the years. Yet deep inside we long for home. But every seems obscured by tears. I cry the time it falls past me. All right, yeah. Sam, do you do you know the lyric? I do know the lyric, actually. Um, it's the uh, "Please let there be one final leap." Yes, yeah. and it, it seems like so on the nose, but we could never figure out that he was saying "leap" because mm. his voice trails off. Yes, and so uh, yes, I was a huge Quantum Leap fan. John was just a casual Quantum Leap fan, and so I kicked myself that John finally figured it out. <laughs> Um, so for me, I have always separated the, the song from the episode because to me, when I hear Face Wide Wheel on the soundtrack, it's not tonic. It's not Sam as tonic. It is Sam Beckett yeah, singing about what it's like to travel in time. Absolutely. Yeah, well, you know, and it's interesting because it's a, it's a moment in the episode. Um, I guess f- for me... Uh, First impressions. I mean, obviously, it's hard to forget the the makeup, um, you know, and the, and that they're all kind of glammed slash kissed out. Uh, the father son aspect of the show, like you know, that was something that I remembered. Uh, oddly enough, I didn't, and because it's 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 played with so loosely throughout the episode and bounces back so many times, like I didn't remember specifically who the killer was, which I know might sound crazy, but I just, I just didn't. It took me, it took me a second to kind of, for my brain to make those connections again, I guess. Um, but much like you, I I mean, it's, it's so much about the song and, uh, I had that soundtrack too. I probably got it around the time I, you know, shortly after I turned 13, um, which would have been like fall of 94, I think is when it was. And I, uh, yeah, I, I, I had this CD player that you could program the songs that you wanted to listen to. So I would throw that CD in and honestly, usually put it on before bed and fall asleep to on repeat, um, 
that somewhere in the night and um, imagine. And I would just those three songs would just you know play and, and usually the leap uh, the leap home suite uh, or suite from leap home um, the instrumental. But yeah, so the song w- was was one that I was always just you know singing and playing and 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 was I think out of all of the the music in the show holds up the most for me, which is probably one of the reasons why I gravitated towards it as a title for the for the podcast. Um, I, it's a wonderful summation, you know, of, of his experience, um, of Sam's experience and that scene in the shopping mall when he gets asked about the song, you know, it's funny because at first he's playing it off like he doesn't have any clue cause he doesn't. And then when the reporter says the lyrics to him, it's just, you, you know, the, it's, it's, it's a very well done moment. Um, because it's clear that it's you know, Sam speaking, not tonic. Um, and, and it, and it works really, really well. Um, and then a fan comes by and she wants him to sign her boobs, but Hey, whatever. Um, (laughs) we'll get there. Uh, so yeah, I, 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 I had, I think fond memories, but those are probably rose colored glasses to say the least. Sure. Of the episode. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Got I got um, to be the yeah, um, uh, yeah. Is there uh, anything else I was gonna say? Oh, I, th- this is what, I, what jumped out at me when you were telling your story. Did you have the CD first? Because I thought I had the CD first. Yeah, I eventually bought the CD. At first, we, I had the cassette tape. Wow, I only had the CD. I only had the CD. I went so um, I went to a Star Trek convention. That was in Charlotte, North Carolina. My dad took me, and you know there was Star Trek stuff, uh, entertainment memorabilia. Um, James Doohan was there um, signing autographs, and um, as we walked around, you know, kind of figuring out like if I was going to buy anything or whatever, uh, I bought the the soundtrack CD because I saw it at a table, and I was like, I got to have this. I you know I just there's no questions asked, and um, and then I also ended up getting the. Uh, Star Trek Generations screenplay, like just a copy of the screenplay. I have no idea why that was what I wanted to get, but that was that was like the other thing. So, um, yeah, uh, I, I, that's where I bought the soundtrack, and it, like I said, it got a hell of a lot of use. Unfortunately, I don't know where it lives anymore. Um, I'm sure I have it somewhere, but uh, between North Carolina and where I live now in Chicago... I moved to Pennsylvania, and I moved three times within the state of Pennsylvania. Uh, I then moved to Indiana, um, and then I moved to Chicago. So there's been like five or six moves at least since then, uh, and obviously it's easy for things to kind of go go missing. I think stuff I, in a box somewhere. Yeah, I think I have the CD and like you know the, you know those old like little plastic you know carrying cases that you carry around in your car. Oh, I, sure, I think sure. I still have it saved somewhere. But somewhere some years ago, just for convenience, I just bought and I downloaded it off of iTunes. Same here. So, well, actually, I, I, so I have it on my phone, basically whenever I want. Y- yeah, I ended up getting it on uh, Amazon Music. Uh, I, I, I don't know why that's where I purchased it from, but that's why. So yeah, I've got like MP3s of it now as well. So yeah. Um, uh, so yeah, sh- should we dive into the to the actual intro to the to the episode? And yeah, directed, man, let's do it. So by and... this episode is entitled uh, "Glitter Rock," not Fate's Wide Wheel. <laughs> um, 
in but, hindsight, um, I bet they wish they named it Faye twice. Right? Anyway. Um, and I have to, we usually don't do this, but I have to mention, just because I was tickled by this, that apparently, um, you know, Matt Dale's book lists the uh, titles that it had in foreign countries uh, for translations. In Italy, it was called Thriller Rock. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, I, I just, like I said, that kind of tickled me. Um, but uh, our air date is April the 10th, 1991. Um, the director is Andy Cadiff. Uh, and it, we are back with another episode written by Chris Rupenthal, who I had mistakenly thought directed a ton of episodes. But no, no, no. He wrote a ton of episodes, and this would be one of them. Um it's worth mentioning that uh, Andy would go on to direct the very next episode, uh, A Hunting We Will Go, and he had also directed So Help Me God um, in the previous season. Um, we are April 12th, 1974, and Sam has leapt into Jeffrey Mole, otherwise known as Tonic. And we are in Detroit, Michigan. We are. In the TV Guide description, Sam, Scott Bakula, cranks it up as a 70s rock star, but it'll require some heavy metal, M-E-T-T-L-E, heavy metal on his part, to avoid the rocker's hard fate being murdered. Oh, man. Oh, TV Guide. Oh, TV Guide. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And so, uh, so to talk about where where Sam has been uh, most recently, he was just in uh, New Orleans in in 1961 uh, in Southern Comforts in the previous episode. But in time, Sam was most uh, previously just a couple months earlier in February of 1974. He was in Thou Shalt Not, mm. one of our favorites. Indeed. Uh, concurrently. Uh, just a couple days later, he will be in Lives on the Fringe, or Lives on the Fringe, which was one of the comics. Uh, and, the ne- and the next televised episode, he will appear just one month later in The Great Spontini. Man, look at you with your research. And it's fun. Hey, this, hey, this is literally, <laughs> I, I copied and pasted it off of Al's Place, the website. Uh, and uh, yes. It's funny that it's Great Spontini, and I'll come back to that later on. (laughs) Um, But yeah, so Sam uh, leaps in, and he is on stage during a concert. Yes, he is. It is also worth noting before we jump in that uh, Jean-Pierre Dorleac, our friend, received an Emmy nomination for this episode for costume design. He did, yeah. He won. And if you go back and check out that episode where we had the interview with Jean-Paul, we do actually talk briefly about this episode during that interview, um, obviously because it is uh, close to our hearts, mm-hmm. for no other reason than the song. Yeah. Um, but, I, you know, I, I think it's pretty clear why. I mean, the costumes are really on point um, and help sell the, the band's image as well as, you know, the groupies. Uh, everything they're wearing, um, an Al stop sign jacket, which is just rad. Sure. So, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, in addition to that, you know, we've got some uh, interesting guest stars. Uh, mm-hmm. The two 
that really kind of stand out uh, are, of course, Peter Noon, who is the uh, former lead singer of Herman's Hermits. Actually, sure. I think current. I think they literally still frickin' tour, as insane as that might sound. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, of course, uh, also had, um, you know, a, a not insubstantial uh, film uh, and television career, um, even doing some stuff as recently as 2011. Um, but the bulk of, of his like film and television stuff, I think came, uh, you know, kind of the mid to late eighties to the mid nineties or so he had a string uh, of, um, TV guest spots. Um, but yeah, I, you know, it's interesting to think that, um, it, it reminds me a little bit, his role in the film or in the film, in the, the episode reminds me uh, a bit of Peter Frampton's role in Almost Famous, um, because he plays a, I think he's like Humble Pie's road manager or something within the film, and uh, it's it just, it's funny to me because there's a parallel between the two of them having been these former, you know, pop stars themselves, and now they're playing this manager within, you know, the context of this like rock and roll, you know, drama, if we can call that this episode that, um, but, uh, so yeah, so obviously Peter Noon, uh, stands out. The other one that stands out, uh, is a guy who we have actually seen before in Quantum Leap, and that's John Grease, who was in, um, The Right Hand of God, um, but he has a huge career. I mean, the guy has done so much. The thing that I remember him most from is, of course, The Pretender, um, he, he played the character, uh, of Brutes, um, who is uh, honestly probably one of the best characters on the show, and, and the development that his character saw rivaled anything that honestly, you know, Jared or Miss Parker got um, within the context of the show, which I always thought was fascinating because he was certainly, uh, I think, not meant for that. Um, but the, the character just really evolved well, and um, I, I'm a big a big fan of, of his work. Uh, on the Pretender, uh, but there's just a ton of stuff that he's done. Uh, you know, guest spots on the X Files. Um, the um, before before Quantum Leap, he was doing you know guest work on shows like Tour of Duty, uh, Jake and the Fat Man. Um, he you know his career goes all the way back to 1967 when he was about 10 years old. Um, so I mean, just just a really really long career, and he's got stuff you know currently in the works. Um, Glass Jaws, a film that he recently just completed, and then two uh, that are coming up. One is called Life Support, which is in post-production, and another called The Knife Thrower in pre-production. Um, so again, just just a, a very lengthy and varied career for that matter. Um, and uh, I, I think he, he always does really good work, and I think that this episode is honestly no exception, and, and he kind of, to me, is, is, is probably one of the better parts of the episode in a lot of ways. Yeah. I did not realize that he was Roscoe in The Right Hand of God. That's right. And that surprises me because as small of a role as Roscoe is in that episode, it's a pretty memorable episode. Yeah. Uh, well, I, or it's a pretty it's a pretty memorable character, I, I should say. And yeah, but but now that I picture it, yeah, totally the same guy. Yeah. Um, it's also worth noting that uh, he was in... Um, uh, Lost, uh, playing Roger Linus, uh, which is Ben's father, right? Oh, you're right. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, and then uh, he was also in Napoleon Dynamite uh, as Uncle Rico, um, and he would reprise that role on the uh, television series as well. 
There was a Napoleon Dynamite television series? Oh, there was. I, did it Did it get past the first episode? Uh, six episodes, I think. It was a cartoon. It was animated. Ah, uh, okay. All right. Yeah. All right, for yeah. sure. And then uh, probably of note here is also uh, the... The actor who plays Philip. Uh, totally. Mm-hmm. Uh, Christian Hoff, who looks like he is still... Uh, is he still working up until the day? Uh, uh, I th- thought his last role was actually a little 2014? while ago. Yeah. It, yeah, it, he seems to have a very... Um, like, it's not consistent. Do you know what I mean? Sure. Like, he, he does a film, then a few years later he does something else, and a few years later he does something else. So he's he's kind of bounced around a lot. It looks like the bulk of his career was definitely in, like, the, the late 80s through to the, the late 90s or so for about a decade there. But it looks like it might have fallen off a little bit. But he could be doing, you know, other things for all we know. I mean, whether it's theater or producing, directing. Oh, sure, you yeah. Know. I mean, like I say, if uh, if you if you never listen to an episode of, of ours before and you're listen to another one's, uh, please never take us our saying like you know like their their IMDb page and at a certain point like like we're like we're being derogatory or we're putting them down or we're being disrespectful or anything. We just we just find it interesting to uh, to note. Uh, yeah, you know us us both being actors ourselves. Uh, uh, pretty inactive right now like we we, we are not yeah. we are not anyone to judge anybody else for uh for not having worked in a while or not having very much work so uh so yeah don't take it that way no uh, no definitely not uh, i'm just always interested by it because it's it's fascinating to me that you see sometimes you know these people will will, will go and have a lot of work and then maybe have a little time away and you, you know i, I think you have to kind of ask the question, are they working on other projects in other capacities or, or are they just taking a break because, or, or are they hey, just being human and work and working somewhere else? Yeah. Yeah. Because I, I think both of us can absolutely attest to the fact that sometimes you need a break. Yeah. You know, yeah. you do for a multitude of reasons. And this is, so. and I mentioned this on, on previous episodes, like it's a, you know, it's kind of an adage in, in the acting industry that people tell you is that if you can find anything else you would rather go do, go do, <laughs> do that. It. Yeah. So, Yeah. Uh, and then maybe not to go down the entire uh, cast list for this episode, but let's bring up Jan Eddy, who plays Whitler, the, sure. the head roadie, uh, mostly of note because he's a suspect for some reason. Not sure why. Because he's got a knife and because he's whittling, which is where he gets his name, which is ridiculous. And it's because he's fat. And, well, and yeah, I'm not fat shaming. I'm just saying the show has a tendency to fat shame people sometimes, and is it's just because like he like he's like he's the fat head roadie with a knife. Is that why? Well, and it's also yeah, I think it is. It's also worth noting, I suppose, that he um, was in Leaping In Without a Net, playing the role of Benny Schuyler. So, uh, who is Benny? Who is Benny? Uh, I frankly don't remember. <laughs> okay. Well, on that note, let's jump in here. Uh, so yeah, so so Sam leaps in. He is in uh, concert. Uh, the the person who we will later come to know as Flash uh, walks up and he says, "Are we going to do it or not? Come on, we have really no idea what he's talking about." Sam looks out at the crowd and into the mic. He says, "Oh boy." Yep. And we jump in. Uh, we didn't have anyone take us up on our offer to read the synopsis for us or to write a synopsis for us this week. Um, do you want to try to bang this out really quick? Do it. Do a do a do a two headed synopsis here and see if we can bang oh through boy. it. Oh uh, boy! Sure. You know, I, I I suppose 
before I do that, we might as well mention the other two band members, if only because Michael Severus, who plays Nick, um, actually has done quite a few um, sort of genre roles, uh, including Professor Pig on Gotham, um, Ramsey's the Fourth on The Tick, uh, and he was also in uh, Fringe uh, as The Observer. Um, and so he, oh, he's done a lot of work. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And in addition to that, um, he was on Trimé, which is actually one of my favorite, probably the most underrated of the HBO shows. You know, I feel like everybody talks about like The Sopranos and The Wire, and they should, but Trimé actually is fantastic. Um, and he was uh, in that uh, playing Marvin Frey for, for 10 episodes. But uh, anyway, uh, and then the other one, um, Wilder, uh, was played by Robert. Uh, uh, Bauer and his career um, actually it's interesting because he's done um, a lot of producing um, more recently in fact I would say almost exclusively for about the past 10 years or so Um, and uh, you know his, his acting career really kind of stops around 2003 um, but he produced um, Headcase, uh, Dinner with Don um, some documentaries it looks like uh, for like DVD releases and special editions and stuff like that uh, some shorts that he's done and uh, uh, but he also played Johnny Horn um, on Twin Peaks uh, which would be shortly uh, I think right before this Quantum Leap it would have been uh, uh, around that time. And, of course, worth mentioning, because we always like to do this, he was indeed in an episode of Star Trek, uh, The Next Generation, Heart of Glory, um, which I believe is a second season episode. I uh, know, season one. It's a season one episode. Uh, and uh, it's it's a, it's a Klingon-heavy episode, which is always fun. And he indeed played, um, I believe, a, a Klingon. Mm. So there you have it. There we go. Uh, so speaking of, to jump back to, to Michael Cerveris, uh, did you ever watch Fringe? Mm-hmm. Okay. So speaking of former acting gigs uh, of mine, uh, so back about 10 years ago, 2009, I got hired to do a gig, a bunch with other, a bunch of other uh, bald actors in Chicago. Yeah. Uh, so The Observer, bald guy, no eyebrows, just kind of creepy looking. Yeah. In a gray suit. Uh, so to promote the second season of Fringe... Uh, they hired a bunch of us bald actors. Yeah. Uh, and we did a thing where one rainy morning we uh, started off at Union Station and then we moved to the Thompson Center and then we moved one more place that I can't remember. And our job was just to just stand there in gray suits. Uh, we got there early. A makeup artist uh, took off our eyebrows by way of putting latex makeup over them. Um and we just stood around, spread out in a group, being creepy. Yeah. Uh, just as a way to promote the premiere of the second season. Uh, at, at one point, they told us to bring... I can't remember if they told us to bring briefcases or if they were going to provide us briefcases. But at the last minute, they nixed that because they were afraid that it would look like a terrorist thing. Ah. Uh, because what's in the briefcases? Right, right. Yeah. There you anyway, have that's really cool. I, I actually love that show. I, I, I think it's really good. I haven't seen the whole thing all the way through. Um, but I, I think it's, um, there are times when it's fantastic, like incredibly good. Um, I, I think for the most part, it's kind of somewhere in the middle. 
Um, but I, I think that it's got John Noble is incredible throughout the course of the series. I mean, he's so good and, and, uh, at the risk of spoiling anything for anyone who's not seen it, there's something that happens with his character specifically. Um, I think about halfway through the series and it just, it takes how good you thought he was before and just takes it to a whole new level. Mm. Yeah. And of course, one of the last things that Leonard Nimoy ever worked on as well. Oh, wow. It's one of those shows I never got. I, I know that if I sat down and watched it, I would eat it up. But Yeah. But yeah. 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 Uh, so that being said, I'm sorry. Are we ready to jump into the synopsis? Okay. All right. All right. Yes. <laughs> I, I was stalling for time because I was not prepared for this. Um, okay. So Sam has leapt into Tonic, and uh, he is a member of the, the band King Thunder. Yeah, which is basically playing, Kiss. Yeah. Which is, yeah, basically Kiss. Although the weird thing about them is that they they... They are, but they aren't. They, 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 they look like Kiss, but their backstory is something more akin to, like, you know, hell, the, 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 the Rolling Stones or even mm-hmm. the Beatles. or You know what I mean? They started off really early. I mean, the fact that they were touring in the United States in 1956 as a, as a British band is... The Dingles. Cool. Yeah, the, as the Dingles, that's right. Um, anyway... Uh, he finds out very early on um, that apparently Tonic is going to be stabbed to death uh, two days later. Um, And then, of course, he has to figure out how to play songs, how to deal with um, amorous female fans, and uh, also trying to piece together the mystery of who is going to stab him, um, all the while being surrounded by his bandmates who are interesting personalities, their manager, who is embezzling money from them, and uh, this stalker kid who turns out to be (gasps) his son. Yes. Uh, So it's important to note that in in the Quantum Leap universe, that Tonic's murder was a big deal. Like, this Mm -hmm. was big in the news, Al says. Up on par with John Lennon's assassination, which I have some issues with we'll get into later. Uh, yeah, because like in that scene where they talk about it, they talk about John Lennon's assassination, President Reagan's almost assassination. Uh, yeah. So it, it's up there on par with those events. So, uh, yes, we have the suspects of, of Philip, uh, creepy stalker kid. Uh, then we have uh, the, the manager. Whitler. Uh, Whit- yeah. Uh, yeah. We have the, the tour manager, Whitler. And then we have their uh, their manager, Dwayne. And then we have maybe Flash, who's bitter over not getting his songs performed in concert. And apparently his groupie is also coming on to uh, Tonic as well, which is another groupie girlfriend, which which is another friction. Yeah, so that's, that's the synopsis of the episode. And it turns out, in the end, it's Dwayne. Because Sam pushes him into admitting that uh, that he has lost almost all of their money on the stock market. And so after the final concert of the episode, as they're leaving, uh, at first Sam thinks it's Philip because Philip he, he spots Philip and Philip goes to pull something out of his pocket and he thinks it's a knife. And then we see a switchblade emerge out of a blue boa <laughs> yeah. lunging at Sam. And then in a monologue confession that rivals the most dramatic episodes of Scooby-Doo. <laughs> Dwayne yes. explains why he was going to do it. Yeah. Uh, and then we find out that, that Dwayne, uh, not, I'm sorry, Dwayne, but Philip's story is true, that Tonic is his dad. 
Uh, at first, mm-hmm. we think that there's a snag because uh, that was the night that Tonic got his nickname, that he drank so much vodka tonic that he had to go to the hospital and get his stomach pumped. So at first, yeah. it's almost this heartbreaking moment. It turns out, oh, he's not Philip's dad, but then it turns out, no. Um, Philip's mother and Tonic got together before the concert. Yeah, it's you know, and it's interesting too because the that scene, um, it, it's funny because he's just avoided being murdered uh, by his manager, and then we're getting this this scene, you know, back at the hotel. Everybody's kind of just hanging out. Um, he, you know, Sam as Tonic is is saying that it's due to Philip that he's still around. Um, Philip shows him the picture. And it's really Flash that kind of helps bring everybody together. Yeah. Because there's been, and I don't want to overplay it too much because it's not, again, this isn't the greatest episode in the world, quite frankly, but there is a nice undercurrent of tension between the bandmates through the course of this episode. And it's interesting because it gets resolved in sort of a, you know, deus ex machina kind of way where you've got the 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 near miss of the murder and now the the son and the, the reconciliation and it kind of brings everybody together in a way that's kind of easy but that said it is a nice way to tie things up by the end of this episode because it, it the final scene i liked it and 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 i don't know if i can point to the exact reason why other than it made me feel good it made me feel like this band, you know, is kind of this family and they're going to get along and everything's going to be okay. It's kind of the opposite of the end of Almost Famous, you know, where you realize, like, these guys fucking hate each other. Sure. You know, they're 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 going to be in this band for who knows how long. Uh, but, you know, they made it through all this crap and, and, and it's really more about the kid anyway. But that said, like, this... This just felt good, and the hug, that the embrace that Sam has with Philip, I think, is, is really nice before he leaps out. Yeah. Um, Do you know why you like that scene? Tell me. Because, aside from that scene and the scene at the party where Philip reveals who he is or who he thinks he is, though these are the only two scenes in the entire episode that have any emotional stakes oh, at yeah. all. Totally. These are the only scenes where Sam connects with anybody else as a human being at all. Yeah. Yeah, you know, it's weird to me, too, because Chris Rupenthal has written some great episodes of the series. There's no doubt about it. But this one, it feels it, like it feels like the, the stakes are manufactured about the murder. Uh, and so it doesn't, like, it's hard to care about that as much. Whereas with... With the father-son stuff, you can care about that in a way that you can't really care about this guy potentially getting no. murdered. No. You know? And this is coming from the guy who wrote Good Morning Peoria, Animal Frat, Freedom, you know. Granted, he also wrote One Strobe Over the Line in The Boogeyman, but but besides sure. that, this, you know, it's... You just said the Halloween episode. You just... <laughs> You just said the name <laughs> of the episode. This episode oh, is we're screwed. We're so we're screwed. screwed. No, but... I, you're right. You're absolutely right. You know what got me the most emotional this morning watching this episode <laughs> is after I watched the episode, I realized I never knew the full story of how John Lennon was murdered. Mm. So I went and read that story, and mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. got me emotional this morning. Man, it is. Uh... So I figured our segment, historical themes and everything, like we'll we'll touch on that at the end of the episode. If you're like me and you just knew that he was murdered by a, a 
by a, a mentally unwell person. Uh, if that's all you knew, yeah, yeah, we'll yeah you're in story. for you're in for something because yeah, I know I know that story pretty well actually. Yeah. Um, w- one other thing that's worth mentioning real quick before we go into anything else um, that's connected to that is that uh, John Lennon's birthday, October the ninth is uh, just in a couple of weeks. Mm, And they're releasing a super deluxe, amazing, all the trimmings box set of the album Imagine, um, which is uh, an excellent album, title, track, aside even. Mm -hmm. Um, And there's going to be two DVD documentaries, one of which was actually filmed during the making of uh, that, that he participated in, and then one I think that's more of like a retrospective thing, Um, and then a bunch of, you know, alternate takes, et cetera, et cetera, that sort of stuff. So I just thought I'd throw that out there real quick. Sure. It's a music episode. We can talk music. Sure. Yeah. So let's talk about what, what do we like about this episode? Cause I do, ha- I do have some individual moments that I liked about this episode. So I think that for me, I kind of have already said it. So I'll just be real brief. It's that, that, that final scene. Um, I really like that. The interactions between Philip and Sam, I think both of the scenes like you were talking about are, are very well done. Um, and I, I, the, the scene in the, um, shopping mall where Sam kind of explains fate's wide wheel. I also have to say, you know, I kind of like, as silly as it might sound, I kind of like the scene with Al in Philip's apartment room. Um, because it's, it's something that we don't get a ton of, but I feel like, man, what an interesting avenue that the show could have gone down had they done more of this sort of like Al the detective, if you will, you know, sort of trying to piece things together for Sam away from Sam. And it's not like this is the first time we've ever had it. But we don't get it a lot. Sure. Gotcha. Um, I mean, yeah, starting off there, that's what I really like is that uh, we we will start to get that in more upcoming episodes. But I really like them going down that going down that avenue because it, it, it gives Al more of a of a role. Like you said, yeah, like, like, totally. like as a detective. Um, so the, the, and there's there's even another moment earlier uh, I can't remember what exact scene it's in, but where Al is talking to Sam about the, quote, probability matrix of all of the people that Sam may encounter during the leap. Yeah. Uh, and that's not the first time we've heard that. Uh, Devil Al says something very similar in the Halloween episode. Uh, but I I like that. I like that idea because like we're, they're, they're starting to explore more this idea that Ziggy's information is not just coming from historical records. But it's also coming from he is able uh, to 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 actually scan the area yeah. that Sam is around, and they're able to derive some information from that. So I found that aspect about this episode really neat. Absolutely, uh, I know I I, yeah, I totally agree. I, I mean that's, um, I, I you know that almost goes hand in hand too with the sort of mythology uh, segment that we've been doing. Mm-hmm. E- 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 you know, I, I think that there's something to that, and it, and it, and it, for lack of a better word, and especially knowing what's going to happen fairly soon, uh, in context of the number of episodes before we get there, it, it kind of humanizes Ziggy in a way. Mm-hmm. You know, it anthropomorphizes the computer, if you will, mm-hmm. um, because it, knowing what what's coming. Um, that makes a lot of sense, and it does make you kind of wonder if it was something that they already sort of had an idea of. Mm-hmm. Because up until this time, we've not really had many of those moments, and please feel free to correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm not remembering any standout moments of Ziggy being difficult, or Ziggy being, 
you know, uh, upset or Ziggy making guesses or Ziggy, you know what I mean? Like it's, it's very much more, this is what Ziggy says. This is, you know, Ziggy's doing this. Ziggy's doing this. There's not a lot of, of that up until this point, I feel uh, like. I mean, it, it's peppered throughout, but I feel like as from this episode forward, we're going to get more moments. Yeah. Like that. Right. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so while we're on out, uh, love his outfits in this episode, the stop sign jacket mm-hmm. that you mentioned, uh, <laughs> like the silver jacket. I feel, I feel like he's worn that in previous episodes. Yeah. Always love when the silver jacket shows up. Uh, my favorite lines of his in this episode, uh, towards the beginning when Sam is throwing the women out of his out of his room, you're throwing away a perfectly good fan sandwich. Yeah. <laughs> so, go ahead. It's 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 strange, and it's, it might sound kind of odd considering where we stand most of the time on on, on certain things. But it's weird to me that I don't have as much of a problem with some of the things that we would normally find problematic with Al's behavior in the context of this episode. And, and part of that I think is due to the fact that the women that we encounter throughout the course of this episode, and I have more to say. So before anybody, you know, gets pissed off, let me finish, but they're, they're active, willing participants in the pursuit of tonic of Sam or, or any of the band members, you know, they're, they're, they're making the choice to go after him and they're making the choice to take their shirt off at the autograph signing. Now that said, there is clearly a discussion worth having about the realm that those band members exist in and what that grants them as far as the cult of personality goes and what's truly motivating the women to do these things and asking the very valid, difficult question of, is it up to tonic and flash and, you know, and everyone else, is it up to them to not engage with these women because they are simply doing it because of who, uh, of the position that they, that they have. So it's, it's, it's an interesting dynamic because on one hand, I question whether or not there's any responsibility to be had on, because we don't see, through the course of the episode, we don't see these guys like praying after the women in any way. No, no. Every, every, every moment we see in this episode, it's, it's the women Yes. Specifically right. Flash's now, girlfriend. Now, of course, the flip side of that is how much of the blame do we have to lay at the writers and director's feet by saying that they're kind of engaging this sort of like male fantasy of the women throwing themselves at the rock? Sure. Well, I mean, even Sam has the line when he, after he throws the women out, uh, girls are throwing themselves at me like some bad writer's dream. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which is, I think, is like a little meta line of, of, of Chris Rupenthal even acknowledging the, the trope. Sure. Uh, what I would say, and that, that, that it's a great question and observation that you have, I would say uh, the, any of the band members or any man's responsibility in this scenario would be like if, 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 the, you know, if the women 
or if the woman is coming on to the man, sure, that's great. Awesome. Are you sober? Okay. Sure. Great. Uh, are you expecting anything more from this? Or are you just wanting to have sex with me because I'm a rock star and that's a thing? That's cool. You're not expecting anything more? Awesome. We're both consenting adults. Let's have fun. Right. Sam gets a little bit more tricky. And, we, and we've <laughs> talked about this before. And this way, uh, I found this. Uh, I was on Twitter today. And I found yeah. this great uh, thread. It was by a person like their their handle is YB, W-Y-B-I-E, at Drinkable Wizard. Um, and a couple of months ago, it looks like they went through and watched the entire Quantum Leap series. And I couldn't uh, I, I couldn't get the sense whether or not they they were just watching it for the first time or they were rewatching it since childhood. Uh, but uh, if you want to find this on Twitter, look them up at, at Drinkable Wizard or the hashtag Bacula Time. Uh, but they made the great observation, uh, and this was in reference to the trilogy episode from the from the last season, that uh, given the nature of the show, Sam should never be having sex with anyone ever. <laughs> Which is an observation that we've kind of made yeah, uh, yeah. on the show. Um, so yeah, that really – because even like – because you can make the argument like, yeah, the, these women who come in at the end of the episode, like they just want to have sex with a rock star – and what's wrong with Sam taking advantage of that if he wanted to? But also at the same time, even though they want to sleep with someone they don't really want to know, they still want to sleep with Tonic. Right. And Sam, Not Sam. And Sam isn't Tonic. Yeah. And even though Sam, ergo, also Scott Bakula are both very good-looking men, and you would think that most women who would be interested in just randomly sleeping with Jeffrey Mole would be interested in sleeping with Sam Beckett. <laughs> you can't make that assumption. No, you can't. You can't. And and you know, to to his credit, I mean, Sam is is ever the Boy Scout in the in the context of the episode, and you know, pushes these women out the door. Um, but this, while we're while we're on that moment, another cool moment in this episode is Sam directly name checks a previous episode, and he says, "This is worse when I was a Chippendales dancer." Yeah, and I think this yeah. is maybe not the first time, but this is a rare time that Sam specifically references another leap. Yes, you're right. It is it is a rare uh, uh, moment of that. It's it, it isn't the only time. There have been I think there've been a couple of other times that that something similar has happened. But this is definitely um, yeah something that's not normal. Um, you know, we we've talked a lot about you know Sam and and what he should do in those situations. So I don't want to belabor the point. But I, I I think that for the most part he handles it well. And I think that in the within the episode, it is a very different situation than some others that he's found himself in. Um, and while I agree with everything that you're saying as far as they want to sleep with Tonic, not with Sam, um, so he's definitely doing the right thing by, by getting them out the door, I think that it is interesting to think about what's motivating you know, the women to do, to do this. Um, and, 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 and I think that there's no shortage of stories of, you know, bands in the sixties and the seventies and that scene in particular. And I mean, it's, it's hell it's around to this day. I think it's a little bit different now perhaps than it was, you know, 40 years ago. Um, but yeah, I, I, like I said, there's no shortage of stories about, what Led Zeppelin and, and the Who and et cetera, et cetera, were, were up to back in the day. So, uh, and the Rolling Stones, I mean. 
you know. Uh, so it lends some authenticity to the episode, sure. I yeah. guess. <laughs> I, I hear that. Yeah. Uh, and then another moment I had down uh, back at Al. This is, I think, the first time in the series where we uh, he refers to sex as bingo, bango, bongo. Is it okay? I wondered that, and that too. Will, and that will they'll play a huge part in the in the season four finale. That's right. It will. Um, another moment with Al um, that's worth mentioning that I really enjoyed, and it kind of takes you all the way back to like Honeymoon Express, really, um, and, and other similar uh, moments. But when Sam is clearly spooked by the idea that he's going to be murdered, and you know he he basically tells Al that he's going to need him to stay close to him, and Al's like, I'll stick to you like glue. It, that exchange is nice, and it's weighted. I, I, I like that. It occurred to me, has it happened before where Sam leaps into the murder victim? Oh, shit. I mean, it has to have, right? Like, this can't be the first time this has happened, is it? Uh, Philip from Seabride. Right, yep. But there was a more overarching story. I mean, just Philip's death or drowning at sea or whatever it was. Apparent suicide, not really a suicide. Right. Uh, 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 no, I'm thinking of more. Uh, Tom McBride from Honeymoon Express. Was right. Also, um, and not a murder, but the pilot episode leaping into Tom Stratton. Not murder, right. but he was the one who was going to die. Yeah. Um, so yeah, there there have been more, but it, it's it, it is unique when Sam leaps into the murder victim, not leaping into a position to save the murder victim. Right. And maybe maybe if God or fate or time were a little bit more fair, he would leap Sam into the murder victim a little bit more often. <laughs> it's, it's, it would it's, certainly... it's a little bit more high stakes. Yeah. Well, and it also, I think it it, it it puts, you know, the onus much more on Sam being active, you know, and on the lookout. And and that's the other thing that's kind of interesting about the, the end of the episode is that he is the one that saves himself with the assist, obviously, from sure. Philip. Um, but he's the one that disarms Dwayne. Yes. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. And so, um, room, uh, you mentioned it before, I, I like the, the scene in the mall. And, yeah, and in uh, the exchange with the with the radio host, I do appreciate um, you know in the background like they do have quote tonic singing, singing Fates Wide Will. So we do, we we do yeah. get a different take. I mean, it, it sounds very similar to Scott Bakula, but we do we do have a different person singing Fates Wide Will. Right, right. Um, worth noting, by the way, that that was written by uh, I, I believe that was written by Mike Post and Velton Ray Bunch. Um, and Chris Rupenthal. Um, Rupenthal, I think, wrote the lyrics to it, but uh, uh, Mike Post and Velton Ray Bunch wrote the music to it, I believe. Okay. Because the thing is, is that I, if I'm not mistaken, Fate's Wide Wheel has actually an interpolation of the... Uh, it's very subtle, but the um, the theme. Okay. There's... there's And, and then isn't there also the... Um, the leap out sound is kind of in the song too. At the very beginning, yeah. If, if, you're, if you're listening yeah. to it on the soundtrack, or leap in. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. 
Anyway, um, so yeah, and as far as Sam moments in the, in the show go, that yeah, that, that moment in the in the mall is, is very good. Uh, the stuff with Philip again to reiterate is very good. Um, but it's interesting because this episode it almost borders on that thing where the episode happens to Sam instead of Sam happening to the episode, mm-hmm. and 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 I don't like those episodes. Well, I mean, I think it's uh, kind of, but then there's also the thing of. He is very proactive with going to Dwayne to talk to him. To That's talk to true. him, like, oh, hey, my escrow check bounced, or, or hey, like, I know you're embezzling money. And this is my problem. Let's just jump into the problems. This, this Please is do. my problem is that Dwayne very obviously puts himself front and center as far as motive is concerned. And right. he is the one that is worried about the least yeah I know I know man I know and 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 I can't I mean I don't want to bash it too much because I feel like you could talk about that it it, it makes the episode a little bit more layered a little bit more complex but God I don't care about this goddamn ranch in Montana or wherever the fuck it is <laughs> That the escrow check is bounced. That they find out that he's embezzling. That he, it's 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 almost like it's I just I mean, too much. Here's why. I mean, especially. Hey, get we needed the motive, yeah, but. especially after I went and the the story of John Lennon's murder this morning after the episode. Right. It was like they they could have done so much, and it, it, like this episode is all over the place. So the, so the first substantial scene with Sam and Al. They they bring up John Lennon's assassination and and Hinkley almost assassinating Reagan and then Sam uh, throws out process schizophrenia and they go down that right. road of exploring that and then it never comes up again during the episode. Uh, yeah, and it, it's really sloppy in that uh, at the end of that scene, Philip he he's sitting on a on a on a fire escape and he's taking pictures from across the street. And then at the end of that scene, like the way he curls up on the stairwell, you really get the impression that he's homeless. And that's where he's going to be spending the night. But then a few minutes later, Al follows him to his apartment. Yeah. Yeah. Not to mention the fact that he's taking pictures of this like high rise hotel building for basically like ground street level and can't see yeah. shit. Yeah. But yeah, and, and obviously they 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 dress Philip up to look very much like a you know um, Travis Bickle from from Taxi Driver, which is what Hinckley was yeah. inspired by. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, you know, and they even name check that in in the episode, and and it's it's fine. I mean, whatever. But it, 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 the, I guess if I was watching Murder She Wrote, and this was the way that the episode was scripted out, I probably wouldn't care as much, but I'm not. I'm watching mm-hmm. Quantum Leap, and as such, it, it, it takes away from the moments that end up being more powerful that we've talked about before, the scenes that have stakes, the scenes that have heart, and when we're trying to follow the thread of this whodunit, to me, it doesn't work, because I don't feel as invested in that and- story. To the point where, as, as I was watching the episode, I, 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 I wasn't tuning out, but it felt very... Yeah, Easy. I mean it was it was it was all over the place. Like I said, they bring Whitler up as a suspect just just mm-hmm. cause. Dwayne is the obvious suspect, and they gloss over that. Flash, sure, 
whatever. He's he's a believable like given between the 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 songs and and his girlfriend. Maybe. Uh, do you know how right. thin this episode is? Well, I mean, they had to. It needs a hammer. They had to go back and add an additional scene, which they had to shoot while they were filming Shock Theater, the season three finale. Wow. Can you pick that scene? I really when I pointed can. out, it's going to stick out like a sore thumb. Oh boy, the scene before the first concert where Sam and Al are backstage and Sam is freaking out about like he doesn't know how he's supposed to form. He doesn't know how he's supposed to act like a rock star. And Al's giving him yeah. all these asinine suggestions. The Pete, the Pete Townsend, Townsend, all of that. Hendrix, all that. Yeah. Yes. They had to go back and shoot that weeks later for filler. And when you watch it, it's obvious because Sam's costume doesn't look quite right. His wig is mixed. His wig literally looks like they pulled it out of storage because it's been in storage for a few weeks. Oh, and threw the wig back on him. Uh, I, I can't put it like Al is wearing his stop sign jacket outfit. But mm. some, there's something about his hair. There, there's just something that looks like when you look at it, it's like, oh, yeah, they did go and shoot this several weeks later. And it doesn't fit with the rest of the episode because while Sam is worried about like you know like learning the songs, basically at right. no other point in the episode is he concerned how he's supposed to act, and that never right. and that how to how to be and a that rock never star. comes through in any of the performance scenes. No, no, no. Well, because the thing is, is it's like this isn't the first time that Sam has had to kind of be. In the spotlight, you know? I mean, he's he's performed before, so whatever. I mean, there is that cute line about how he never listened to, you know, any of those bands. He was listening to Simon and Garfunkel. And there is the cute little Who's on First play with Pete Townsend and The Who, you know, the, the, that that m- moment or whatever. But it... it, it yeah, the, I, I guess ultimately it just doesn't... It, it does not work as well as maybe they think it could or should to me anyway. Um, and I, I, I feel like the heart of the episode is mostly discarded for the pursuit of this whodunit aspect. Um, which again is fairly thin because when it comes to the, the motive, like the motives for flash, for instance, are so fucking throwaway. You know, the motives for Philip are just that he's supposed to be demented. And we, you know, we find out that he's not. And yet, Dwayne, who has all the motive in the world, like, the, you know, that's explored the most, too, um, we're supposed to believe that no one can figure out that it's him up until the very end when Sam takes yeah. the wig and off. Here, I know you're never supposed to think much more about, like, what happens to everyone's lives after the end of the episode. But, le- but let's play this out. Right. In the original history... Dwayne murders Tonic. Somehow, he murders him in front of all of these people, and he's able to disappear into the crowd. Yeah. The band is most likely, they're either going to break up, or they're going to have to take an extended break while they figure out how to deal with the murder of their lead singer. While they're doing all this, they're probably going to be doing some settling of the finances. (laughs) 
So do you think maybe yep. then it's going to come out that Dwayne's embezzled the money? Well, hey, Dwayne told you, man, they were going to get their money. Sure. <laughs> no, you're right. You're absolutely right. And there it doesn't, yeah, it doesn't even hold together. It doesn't but even hold together. And, and I think why, and this is, uh, if you're just happen to tune in for the first time because you saw us on Twitter and like, hey, we're doing the episode about our namesake, we usually don't shit on the episodes like this. <laughs> <laughs> We're not even really shitting on it, though. There are parts of it that we do like. Because yeah. I think you and I, we have both such fond memories of the the song that that came out of this episode. Yeah. Uh, and and that juxtapositioning it up against like rewatching the episode and like really analyzing, it's like, oh, good. It's not a, it's not a very good episode at all. Yeah. It's, it, that is where you know I am. I am outraged, but I am I am play outraged. Like I am. I, I am pop culture, sure. you know, outraged. Right, here. right. Yes, yeah. I still love the show, but watching the episode this morning made me stabby. Yeah, well, and the thing is, it's kind of like what we talk about sometimes. This might be an episode that we don't necessarily revisit as much, but that doesn't mean that we don't love the show, that we wouldn't watch this episode again. You know, I, I, I mean, it, that's not the case at all. It's just the idea that when you put this next door to some of the great episodes that we've had this season, it doesn't it doesn't hold up, you know, and certainly doesn't hold up to the great episodes of like season two. Um, and, and I think that it's, you know, we're, we're, we, we've had a string of episodes that just, I do feel like, like, I I, I do know the, the, it's going to pick back up in the fourth season, but I do feel like, and I didn't remember this, but the, the latter half of the third season is just kind of treading water. It goes out with a bang. It really does. The latter half of the third season. Yeah. You know, I mean, I think that there are there are two episodes. I mean, maybe even three. I don't know that are coming up that are uh, that I remember being good. And I and and upon rewatch, I could be wrong. But the next episode, um, I, I think, is fun. Uh, Last Dance Before an Execution is is I think is very good. Uh, Nuclear Family, mm-hmm. I think, is very good. So you know, there's some episodes coming up even before we get to Shock Theater that uh, are very well done. I, I just think that again, yeah, Glitter Rock unfortunately doesn't hold up. And again. It's not like it's the worst of the series. It's just not, it's not, I wouldn't even necessarily say it's an average episode. It's just slightly, slightly yeah. I mean, below. The thing is, like, when I, um, when I was talking about the episode this morning with Betsy, apparently at some point after we got the Blu-ray set, we watched this episode together. And she's like, oh yeah, the episode, like, she's like, yeah, I remember that being a pretty good episode. So she enjoyed yeah. the episode. The average fan, they probably enjoyed the right. episode. But jerks like us. Well, yeah. Wait, what can you what say? You do? And then, I mean, uh, Rock the Redhead. Rock the Redhead. Rock the Redhead. <laughs> I could totally see that being a 70s rock song. I can buy that. Yeah, now, along with Hotspot. I could totally buy Hotspot. You know what my problem with Hotspot is? Hotspot what? is not the last song they play in concert. Right? Hotspot is what they open with. Yeah. Fate's Wide Wheel is what they closed the show. Maybe not Fate's Wide Wheel, because Fate's Wide Wheel just came out and it's on the new album. It would be one of their hits. Like one of the songs when they were the Dingles? Oh, God. (laughs) 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 But uh, uh, when you say that, I I, I know you've seen Spinal Tap, right? Yeah, I'm thinking of uh, 
listen to what the flower people say. <laughs> that, yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Was that? Am I thinking? Yeah. yeah, that's Spinal Tap. Yeah, I'm sorry. For a second, I was afraid I was conflating Spinal Tap with uh, A Mighty Wind, but no. The, yeah. Oh, yeah, okay. There's also the the, the Ruddles, which is another one that's, like, that's similar to Spinal Tap. Okay, I haven't seen that one. Yeah. Yeah, anyway. Um, you know, and let's face it, the nice thing about the episode, I feel like, is it it never devolves into that kind of parody, which I don't think would have worked no, with the episode. No. The rock and roll band is taken seriously, you know? And, and it's interesting watching the episode, some of the parallels that I did end up making with a movie like Almost Famous, which mm-hmm. I love. I mean, Almost Famous is, you know, for a while there, it was probably one of my favorite movies. Um, and, and, and so I think that there's a certain authenticity, um, you know, they kind of get it right. And they don't shirk away from some of the things that I feel like Today, if you were watching something like this on network television, um, I don't know that you would have all the groupies in the dressing room and the the bottles of vodka and whiskey, you know, flowing. Uh, so I mean, maybe you would, but but I, I don't know. I kind of feel like this particular television show, if it were made today on NBC, I don't know. I don't know that it would uh, be as. I, don't know. I could see like like one of the Law and Order shows or one of the Chicago like PD or Fire. I could see well, them. Yeah, but they're like, you know, 10 o'clock sure. shows or something. I'm talking about like a sci-fi genre show that's airing at like 8 p.m. You're probably May- not going to get that. Fair point. I could be Fair wrong. Point. Maybe less so. Uh, I was reminding, looking looking stuff up today, that at one point, Quantum Leap and Night Court aired on the same night on NBC. Wow. <laughs> and I loved me some Night Court when I was a kid, but those are just two very different shows. Very different Very shows. Different shows. Uh, should we talk about? Um, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh, I was just gonna say, do we want to? Do we want to uh, uh, talk about John? Lennon? Yeah. Do we want to talk about that, or do we want to talk about like? I think we kind of covered it, like like the like the time travel twists and tropes and, and mythology of the series. Uh, just basically, like oh, sure. Al as a private detective. Um, yeah, and and that's uh, and 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 I guess maybe also it's worth talking about. It's like this. It's just built into the plot. It's not questioned that Sam has to play the concert that he's going to get killed after. Like, he has to do Mm. the exact same thing that he did before. Like, the only thing he tries to change is what door they go out at the end of the episode. And then they end up getting, then he ends up getting shuffled out the the same door. But it's like this, this unquestioned plot point that they must play the concert. Well, so so how about this, which I think that this is something that's kind of interesting, is that there are there are two moments within the episode where the one where Sam almost does get killed sure. where the lighting rig falls down. And then the other one where they're at the party and Al yes. tells mm-hmm. him that that he's gonna get killed tonight instead of at, after the concert. And I think that it's a perfect example of, of, of Sam changing things mm-hmm. while he's there. Um, and, and not necessarily for the better. <laughs> um, and so that's, that's clearly some of our timey wimey, you know, kind of stuff happening within the context of the episode, which is always cool to see. Cause we don't get it a lot. You know, we, 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 we get, um, flashes of it here and there. I mean, well, maybe it's not fair to say we don't get it a lot, but it, it's not like it happens every episode. Um, yeah. And, and, and yeah, not a timey twist, but yeah. one nice touch of the episode I did like is that we only get one mirror shot in the episode and it is a very mm-hmm. subtle you get like three quarters of Tonic's face in in the table and the reflection of the table at the yeah party. although it is 
it is funny because that's the only mirror shot we get, but we get the mirror shot music playing when Philip hands Sam the photograph, mm. which has the actual tonic in it, which I thought was kind of an interesting little twist there. And, and, and it's neat because if you're, if, if, if you're looking at this picture and, and let's say that you, you came in halfway through the episode, um, or you've never seen quantum leap before that musical cue is, is, it, it, I, don't, I don't know, it's, mm-hmm. it, it does a little something. And obviously, if you watch Quantum Leap a lot, you know exactly what that is. But it's, it, it's I don't know, it was kind of a nice little identifier to say, like, this is, this yes. is what Tonic really looks like. Yeah, I missed that one. You know, 16, yeah. 17 years ago. Um, yeah. So, that, yeah, that, yeah, that's... that's so our... let's, uh, you know, like I said, I, I just read the details of, of John Lennon's murder this morning, but, but like, this is something, like, uh, you have known about. And, and you had seemed emotionally affected by it as well, knowing the story. Yeah. I, well, I, so, you know, I've read a few um, biographies uh, on John Lennon, and, um, you know, there was a time when, you know, I mean, he was it for me. Um, before, you know, I got into guys like Bob Dylan or before, you know, before there was really anybody else that I was listening to. I mean, I was listening to the Beatles a lot, but John Lennon, it's funny. I think I actually really got into John Lennon before I really even got into the Beatles. Um, as crazy as that might sound. I mean, obviously I was aware of the Beatles. I knew who the Beatles were, but you know, listening to, I had a couple of, um, John Lennon albums and, uh, I would listen to those even before I was listening to like Beatles albums all the way through. Um, so yeah, I was greatly affected by it. There was, um, uh, you know, sort of a biopic documentary film on him and it, you know, it led up to the night that he was shot and it was, you know, it had a profound effect on me. And I saw that, uh, I think before the Beatles anthology came out and then when that came out, you know, getting more into it and again, reading about it, um, and just where he was at that particular point in his life. Um, I don't know. It, it, To think about you know he'd taken like five years away from the music scene to raise his son, Sean, and he was just getting back into the music scene, and he'd had this new album that was getting ready to come out, um, you know he was actually just doing a radio show promoting it when he came back from that um, you know when he got shot, and he, the 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 whole story that earlier in the evening Mark David Chapman had been outside the Dakota and gotten his picture taken and gotten an autograph from him and everything and then you know waited for him to come back after the radio show um and even that the detail that broke it's like walking back in John Lennon walked by him and seemed to acknowledge him and just gave him like a smile and a nod and then when he got 10-15 past him that's when Chapman opened fire yeah yeah. Shot him, shot him in the back. Yeah. Um, when I was in college, um, I was in a production of the Heidi Chronicles, and we opened on the night that George Harrison died. And the in, within the context of the play, there's a scene um, that takes place the night John Lennon, or the, the like the day after um, John Lennon has been killed, um, and. 
it was the damnedest thing because the guys aren't in the scene. There's only I mean, there's only like three male characters in the scene or in the whole play. Um, one of them is, is the Doctor Peter. That's who I played. The other one is is Heidi's sort of on again off again scoop. And then the other male character actually plays like three or four different guys. Mm-hmm. <laughs> He's like an ensemble character basically. And and you know most of the uh, uh, cast are women. Uh, and so it's only women that are in that scene. Um, and you know sitting back in the dressing room on that night in particular. Um, it was, there was, there was something kind of profound about it because obviously I, you know, I wasn't born yet when it happened. Um, none of the cast, you know, was old enough to, to, to remember it. Um, but because we were there on a night when, you know, one of the other four had passed away, um, I don't know, there was just something about it that made it a little bit more visceral on that, on that particular evening. Yeah. Yeah, and it's just, but, yeah, yeah I mean, the, 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 he was just reading the details like it was uh it was announced first in the news a Monday night football by Howard Cosell. Mm-hmm. And the thing that's the thing that's kind of crazy about that is that not long before that John Lennon had actually popped into oh, that's right. the announce yeah. booth. Yeah, and he had been there um yeah. you know with Howard Cosell and he lo- yeah. apparently he loved American football. And he watched Monday Night Football, and he was a big fan. And, and yeah, it hadn't been that long before that he'd been um, that he'd been on yeah. the. Uh, and I also didn't realize that Paul show. McCartney had been criticized for how he his first media, his first comments to the media, the reaction, because apparently he was walking outside and someone asked him about it, and his initial reaction was "drag," isn't it? And mm. you know, so immediately got criticized. He explained afterwards. He was like, "I basically, I, I just didn't have the words." at that point and I was just really sad and I, I, yeah. I was caught off guard I didn't know what to say but uh, yeah. but yeah all of it like I said I was I was more emotionally affected reading the story <laughs> this morning <laughs> than anything else sure um, the, the, yeah um, yeah well and I think that again you know, he, he, he had just turned 40 years old uh, about two months prior to that and he um, ha- had really he he kind of reconciled with his oldest son Julian. Um, you know they had not had a very good relationship uh, up until you know fairly recently. Um, you know he had a five year old son in Sean, and um, you know they had spent all this time together, which was kind of one of the reasons why I think Julian was a little uh, had been a little put off. But they were reconciling at the time that he died. In addition to all of that. You know, he was on much better terms with the the Beatles again. You know, when he hadn't spoken to uh, Paul in particular for quite some time. Um, you know, the, they were pretty bitter over some things, um, but that Paul had actually been. Um, there's this funny. There was a made-for-TV movie um, that was a highly fictionalized version of it. But apparently, the night that Lorne Michaels went on Saturday Night Live and offered the Beatles the check to re uh, to reunite on his show, uh, Paul and John were actually sitting together in John's apartment watching that, and they joked about how they should go down and they should and yeah. they should take mm-hmm. the check. You know why not? Um, and and of course it you know it was it was uh, they, they got a payoff out of it eventually because George Harrison was actually on the show uh, for his new album or whatever and he went and then Lauren Michaels wouldn't give him the check because he said he needed all four of them to be there not just one of them um, but yeah I mean he and Paul had had kind of sort of smoothed some things over as well um, you know he was still on good terms with Ringo and, and George but. Yeah, just the, the 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 whole damn thing. And he, you know, he as he was walking in after he got shot, you know, he he screams out to 
the staff, you know, help me. I've been shot. You know, they're, they're trying to do what they can for him. Um, uh, but you know, he, if I'm not mistaken, you know, he didn't know. And it, it, make it seemed it like the, hospital. the, the description I read, um, this is like the, the Wikipedia article that I found that they, they, they still tried to the very end to help him, but I think it was apparent like almost right away how catastrophic the, the, the wounds were. Um, yeah. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, even reading the, yeah. the Wikipedia article, like they have it forward, uh, how Cosell announced it on Monday Night Football and the exchange that him and Frank Gifford mm-hmm. had. Um, yeah. Anyway, to try to bring this very sad thing back to Glitter Rock, uh, the, epi- the, the issue that I have in this is like, I don't think they were ever trying to say that Tonic was John Lennon. Anywhere close to the equivalent. Right. But I can't help but think that if we are in the same timeline where Tonic is killed in 1974, you can't help but think that that would have had a ripple effect and that would have affected John Lennon having been murdered. Right. Because you would think like after that, like, oh, okay, more security or something like, I don't know, this, you know, this happens. Like, I, I don't think... Uh, I, I may be showing my ignorance here because I, I know that there's there's been at least one or two more music celebrities who have been violently murdered since then. So it still does happen. But well, to me, it's like yeah. I, I can't help but think like if Tonic gets murdered in 1974 in such a way that he does, that doesn't have a ripple effect and John Lennon doesn't have better security in 1980. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, let's face it, it, it you know, in, in some of the other stories that we know of where um, a musician has been murdered, like, uh, say, uh, Sam Cooke, for instance, um, you know, that that wasn't going to prompt people to get security because it was kind of a, a murky situation. You know, he was, he was killed by a woman yeah. in a hotel and, and, you know, there's all sorts of speculation sure. as to what was really happening. Um, you know, Marvin Gaye was, he was killed by his father, right? You know, I mean, there's like, there's all of these, these, these others that, and I think that actually happened after John Lennon, but, um, the idea that a, that a yeah. crazed fan, if you will, would be the one to perpetrate it. It, it does make you wonder, um, if, in, in the quantum leap universe. I mean, I know we're talking about something that's kind of, kind of heavy, you know, in the real world. And I mean, God, I, you're talking about John Lennon's death is really I just kind of, I, 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 I can see the drag, look on your face. You know? yeah. <laughs> um, but, 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 but you're right. You know, I mean, you do, you kind of have to wonder, it's like, if this was a big deal and all over the news in 1974 in the quantum leap universe, then, don't you think, like, somewhere along the way, you're right, somebody would have been like, ah, oh, we got to watch out for the, you know, maybe John wouldn't have gone strolling through Central Park and, you know, shaking hands yeah. with fans. Yeah. But then again, now maybe here we he go. would have, because that's just the kind of guy he was. Right here. This just popped into my head right here. If Chris oh, Rupenthal here we go. really wanted to kick us in the nuts, we could have not oh, mentioned God. John Lennon at all at the beginning of the episode. And then oh, at the end of the episode, man. Al drops that somehow... By Tonic not being murdered, that changed history, and John Lennon was. I mean, the flip side of this is that we had already gotten the really beautiful moment in Ali Poem 
you know, and that, and that moment is, is, is probably one Mm. of the best in the entire series. Um, and, and I mean, everyone plays it so fucking perfectly from the look on Katie's face to the way Sam is handling it to Al's don't tell her, like it is, that moment is so goddamn good. Because we kind of established Um, in that episode that yes. But that said, you're yeah. right. That would have been a kick in the nuts, <laughs> yeah. uh, to say the least. Oh, God. Uh, uh, I'm sorry. I, I apologize. Um, Listeners, we, we, we normally don't get this morose on the episode, <laughs> but uh, we, we went down oh, a rabbit hole, man. man. I'll tell you that. Um, you know, like I said, I, I, I hated this episode this morning, but it, it, it's had one of uh, what I think one of our more interesting conversations in a couple of episodes. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I, I think that that's the thing, though, about the show, that even on an episode that we will admit is, is probably a little bit below average, um, that just by nature of what the show is and how it handles itself, I feel like we get a lot of cool opportunities to talk about things like this. Um, you know, in the last episode, we even talked about how we didn't have a lot of historical context necessarily or whatever. But with this episode... Um, I don't know. It's a reminder of that. Uh, I, I think maybe that's the thing about season three so far, that, that if I had to sum it up, I would say that they drifted a little further away from exploring that sort of baby boomer past and culture. And maybe in part that had to do with the fact that, you know, Belisario, when he set out for the show, that was his target audience. When they realized that wasn't the audience that they were necessarily hitting, maybe they decided to kind of push away from that a little bit. But I think that you know, the strongest episodes do tend to hit on something that feels relatable um, or, or something worth contextualizing. Um, and I guess that we've had a few episodes, a few, a run of a few episodes here where we haven't been able to say our, you know, what has now become our trope of in the context of today in the context of when it was made and in the context of when it was set. And I feel like this episode gets a little closer back to that. But we've had a few here where I don't feel like we've really been able to talk about that in the same way that we that we have with other episodes. Like, look at an episode like Black and White on Fire. I mean, that episode is so rife with, you know, ripe with, with, with opportunities for us to discuss and, and contextualize the episode. And in the past few that we've had, and this one, not so much. For sure. <laughs> yeah. I, so I, I think that that's interesting and, and perhaps of note. And I don't know if that's... I don't think that's us. I do think that that's just the, the nature of the episodes that we've been getting compared to the nature of the episodes that we've gotten previous. So maybe it's sure. interesting to look at it that the show, maybe that's the thing why, why it's it maybe in a bit of a rut because they've been doing these sort of paint by numbers anthology drama episodes, as opposed to these, you know, playing around with history stuff. I don't know. Yeah. But even though like uh, the first couple seasons, we got a lot of anthology esque episodes, but the thing is, is like they created really strong characters within those episodes. Yes, like like specifically, like uh, the first episode that pops to mind is how the test was yeah. won. Is that almost immediately in that episode, like after we establish Sam's situation, we go to completely different characters to establish their circumstances, and those characters feel very limited. Yeah, and like where that's an episode where yeah, Sam and Al are the stars, but we do get a window into these other people's worlds. But like I said, this episode, the only, the only thing that has any emotional stakes is Philip's storyline. And the first half of the episode, they're leading us down this 
fake path of him being mentally unwell and, and going to kill right. him. And how do we feel about the fact that they're using, you know, the, and, and let's face it, there's obviously evidence and, and, you know, reality to back this up. We only need to look at people like Mark David Chapman and John Hinckley Jr. But how do we feel about the fact that they are kind of using mental illness as a red herring? I mean, it's obviously problematic, but we weren't having those kind of conversations in, in 1991. Yeah. And let's, um, you know, Sam's yeah. approach to it, I do feel, is, is fairly sensitive, though. Like, his, mm-hmm. his, his, you know, his sort of clinical discussion with Al about it, it doesn't feel like, oh, this guy's, you know, a wacko and he's going to come kill me. It, it, it feels very much like this is a medical, this is a definable medical problem. And, you know, here, this is one of the symptoms of it what can we do? You know, it doesn't go further than that, but I guess that's what annoys me that it doesn't go further than that. And the thing is like, if you're going to name check John Lang, you had an opportunity. You could have done a really interesting episode, like not John Lennon. That's too much, but to do a John Lennon esque type character and really dealing with, their murder and how affecting it was and, and the, and the, and the mental state of the person who did it, you could have done a really interesting episode. Yeah. With those circumstances. Right. And in the end, what, what ends up being the motive? Just good old greed. Yeah. 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 And like I said, I'm going to, I'm going to say again with a, I, I don't think, uh, I, I love Peter Noonan. Oh yeah. Uh, he does. He's fine. Yeah. 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 All love and respect to him, but his, it is such a Scooby-Doo monologue. Yeah. At the end of the episode. You would have got uh, your money back! <laughs> yes, yes, yes. If it wasn't for you meddling kids... <laughs> yeah. Uh, Jesus, does that mean that Sam and Al are like Shaggy and Scooby? Uh, and like Ziggy's yes. like Daphne and... You know... I'm trying to figure out who who would be who would be what. No, Ziggy's more like know. Velma, maybe. Yeah, who was the one who always wore the glasses? That's Velma. Velma. Okay. Yeah. I have I have uh, my my good night Facebook thing that I yeah. do. Uh, so on Facebook on my on my personal page, it's just like almost every night I just post a funny meme and I just say good night Facebook and that's the thing. I have one saved on my phone. I'm afraid to post it because I know it's going to offend someone. Yeah. It's it's Thelma. Stumbling around in the dark for her glasses, right next to Jordy LaForge, stumbling around for his visor. Oh God. And they're right next to each other and probably unaware that the other one is oh, there. Oh, man. It's funny. <laughs> I think it's fine. Yeah, I don't know. Just sometimes, uh, in, in, the, in the state that we live in, sometimes I'm afraid even like very innocuous things are going to end up being offensive. sure but anyway sure. yeah uh, i i don't know who fits what in the scooby-doo analogy here. so yeah no neither do i uh so okay so yeah i think we're both on the same page as far as our feelings about the episode overall um i i i think in the context of quantum leap as a whole the episode does indeed though carry a little bit of weight and it really does all come down to the song because the song, it all comes down to the song. Because the song is, yeah. you know, very apropos of the of the television series, of the themes of the series. That it feels like it's something that Sam 
could be saying, you know, shouting to the heavens. Um, But I think if you buy the soundtrack, you don't need to see the episode. (laughs) No, I mean, you buy the soundtrack, you can just listen to that over and over again. And like I said, in high school, I did. And that's why I love this song, because, like, anytime I listen to that song, or just hear, like, the opening strains of that song... Uh, it, it, it just, it, it takes me back to, to high school. First off, just like walking around, like listening to the cassette tape on my Walkman, uh, or whatever cheap knockoff I had from Walmart. Uh, <laughs> and then eventually like, like, you know, driving around, like cruising around with my friends, listening to the song. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I love that, but yeah, that, that, that's my takeaway. That and, uh. I know the stop sign jacket is the more popular Al's outfit. I like the silver jacket. I like the silver jacket too. I like the silver jacket a lot. The stop sign jacket is is, is a little over the top in my in my opinion, but you know, no, I agree. Yeah. I you know, if we're going to if we're going to kind of hand out some some positive feedback to the episode, I mean, Al, I think Al throughout the course of the episode uh, ends up being um, very it, it, he's encapsulated well. We get we get a good look at the different sides of Al. You know, this isn't just yeah. Al, the, you know, the Lothario, the misogynist, the, you know what I mean? This is, this, this isn't just that. There's a little bit of that, but, you know, yeah. there's, speaking of, there's also that, you know, the, the, the protector and, and champion for his friend and, you know, mm-hmm. the guy who, uh, he's kind of a man of action as well. You know, he's, 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 he, he, it's, there's no physical risk obviously to himself, but he's, he's putting himself out there and, you know, and trying to, um, do more than just talk to a computer back in 1995 or whatever. Absolutely. It is worth noting. There is a a pretty obvious goof in this episode. Uh, at the end of the second concert, one of the band members brushes up against him (laughs) significantly. Uh, I mean, I mean, it's, I, I mean, it's, yeah, I mean, it's like, physically brushes up against his clothing you can see the clothing crinkle and dean stockwell steps back and it was like that's a shot like they they probably had to use because they didn't have anything else and they needed some kind of transition right, shot. right. um but it's a good episode sure <laughs> Why sure not? um i wouldn't stop someone from watching this no episode. it's not hey it's it's you know what it's not Machiko, and it's not Portrait for Troyan. Uh, I don't know. For me, earlier this morning, I thought, no, this is right up there with Machiko and Portrait for Troyan. You know, you, you know, you know what this episode is for me. This is this is on par with the Great Spontini. Yeah, totally. This this and the Great Spontini are the two thinnest episodes this season. Yeah, although although Spontini, Spontini's got the girl, and she's really good. And there's some and there's some other good moments throughout the, the course of the episode. I would I would There's I that. would rank Spontini slightly above Glitter Rock. A little bit of yeah, yeah a little bit above. Spontini loses me uh because the huge violation of San Dimas time that we talked about in that episode <laughs> and also uh Sam's determination that no matter what him and the girl are going to get together. Sure, right. And yeah. Uh but yeah. Would you would you think do you think it's better than Southern Comforts? Do I think this episode yeah. is better than Southern Comforts? Yeah. Uh, no. Okay. Because, I mean, Southern Comforts has its own problematic elements that we discussed, but at least it had a storyline that made sense. All right, what about Piano Man? Piano Man? Uh, P- 
Piano Man is better because at least you have Lorraine and you have and Lorraine is just adorable as hell and you have their relationship throughout. Uh, I mean, Piano Man is not the greatest episode, but at least you have that. Literally, the thing it comes down to, you have a, you have a sloppy whodunit or who's going to do it, and you only have two scenes that have emotional stakes in the episode. Two and a half, if you count the first scene with Sam and Al and it just and, and Scott right. Bakula's and Scott Bakula's performance and like taking in the fact like he is the one who's going to get murdered yeah. in this episode. Yeah. You have two and a half scenes with emotional stakes. Sure. And a sloppy So the reason why I'm asking you these leading questions is because if you go to IMDb, (laughs) Leap of Faith, One Strobe Over the Line, Miss Deep South, The Great Spontini, Rebel Without a Clue, Eight and a Half Months, Piano Man, and Southern Comforts all rank lower than Glitter Rock, according to user reviews. Okay, so here's the thing. I don't trust user reviews of individual TV episodes on IMDb. Movies? Sure. Series overall? Sure. I don't trust individual ratings I, hey, on TV episodes. I, I, no, I, I agree with you, and I think that they're mostly, you know, they've got to be fairly arbitrary. I would, for what it's worth, I would probably put Glitter Rock above Southern Comforts. Um, I definitely would not put it above eight and a half months. I, you know, okay, I, I, I would not put it above, um, I might put it above Rebel Without a Clue. No, no, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't. Uh, I mean, I, at least Rebel Without a Clue, it, like, it has the really touching, uh, storyline with the owner of the, oh, the owner of the diner. Hell, I don't think I would put it over One Strobe Over the Line or Miss Deep South. Oh, one Strobe Over the Line is tough. Yeah, but One Strobe Over the Line has got it's got some things going for it, man. It does. Pills. Yeah. <laughs> like I, I, I think so far, like the, the the song puts it up a little bit. And I would say I'm going to go back and argue. Probably the reason why it's higher rated on IMDb is that most fans remember. Yeah, the song. no, that's a good point. So I guess okay. So so I know we don't do this very often, and and and, and we're 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 going on. We could we could easily wrap things up any time now. But I'm just curious. In the context of the whole season thus far, would you say that this is the worst episode of the season? thinking here with the note if you take if you if you take fate's wide wheel out of the consideration entirely yes yeah i kind of might agree with you if you put the song back in (laughs) uh it's it's one step over one strobe over the line in great spontaneity okay yeah, I don't know. It's weird, you know. I, I, I maybe I'll feel differently in a week, but as of right now, I think I would probably put it at the bottom of, of my pack. And that's very odd for me because I do have such a strong attachment to Fate's Wide Wheel. Sure, that is the irony of this episode. It is. <laughs> and look, you know, I, it's, it's 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 our podcast namesake. I, I want to reaffirm to those listening that we love Quantum Leap. We wouldn't be doing this if we didn't. Like, honestly, this is one of the things I look forward to the most every week. I, you know, I love doing this. I love this show. 
and I'm going to watch this episode again in the future, I am sure. But if I'm trying to be somewhat critical, if I'm trying to be somewhat objective, then I have to say that, yeah, this episode is probably the worst one of the season so far. (laughs) This is, I mean, like, it's, uh, um, I had had an instructor years ago who liked to use the term dazzle camouflage. Nice. This episode has a lot of dazzle camouflage. It does. You know, hey, and you know what? I'm so, I'm sorry to interrupt, but I will I that's something we haven't talked about and we should actually throw some love at it. The cinematography during the concerts mm-hmm. in particular is really well done. There you know, there's some moments where they're up there, they're singing, they're playing and and it it, it moves. It's got <laughs> frankly, it's got more action in those scenes than it does anything else. More energy, sure. more liveliness and and it's really really well done. It's shot very very well and and um there's the, the evocative kind of feeling behind Fate's Wide Wheel when it's got Sam playing like the two keyboards and you know, the one He's he's facing kind of off camera, and then he turns and he's basically facing straight into the camera as he begins to sing. Mm-hmm. And you know that 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 is handled very well, and the concert scenes in general work really well. They don't feel as oh well, clearly that's stock footage as other episodes that we have seen. There are, I mean, it's I mean it's obvious, like you know, between like the stock footage that they use and the shots of the concert. But considering that they're trying to sell you that this, I think what they say they're playing in front of like nine thousand fans at a time. Yeah, something like that. They for for a television episode, they do a pretty good they job. They do when sometimes when sometimes they don't do a very good job yeah. of doing those crowd scenes, like Miss Deep South, right? Horrible, uh, Leaping in without a net. Better than Miss Deep South, but not yeah. great. This is probably the best they've done at selling us on Sam performing in a large venue. Yeah, so the spectacle is there. The glitter, if you will, is there. The glitter, <laughs> yes. Man. The, the, glitter, the, atta- the glitter camouflage. And the costumes are great. The costumes are, I mean, not Yeah, really. oh yeah, without a doubt. The production values remain remain high. It just, it just mm. parts of it feel a little slapped together as far as... You know the overall feeling that it leaves you with, and and the story, and that's yeah. unfortunate because I think that underneath it all there is there is something, perhaps a little more worthy there, um, because it's got a little bit of the quantum leap heart, but maybe a little bit too much of the murder she wrote. <laughs> that is a great summation. I don't. I think that 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 is a perfect summation right there. A little quantum leap heart, too much murder she wrote. Uh, and on that note, so should we say where, where Sam leaps next week? Yeah, man, do it up. You're the one that does all the research. I'm just sitting here, you know, hanging out. Oh, I mean, well, I mean, well, I mean, like we see where he leaps into. Like, oh, you going. mean yes? I'm sorry, a hunting we will go. That's right, which yeah. we know is 1976. Yeah, so not 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 too far away in time. Uh, he's standing in a phone booth. Somebody's on the other end of the line. The woman that is handcuffed to him suddenly she gets a spark of an idea and she. Yanks against him, starts screaming bloody murder, and we have a comical bit of Sam getting pulled into the phone booth, and away we go. Yeah. To a hunting we will That's go. That's right. And I, I, I have some fond memories of this, believe it or not, so I'm gonna, it'll be interesting to see if it holds up. I, I have a good feeling about this. All right, episode. cool. And why, because it's the thing, like, we, we've had some issues, uh, especially with Southern Comforts, and even a little bit with Glitter Rock, because it, it crossed my mind, but it, it kind of got glossed over. It's like, one of my other problems with the Glitter Rock is that 
it kind of plays the whodunit for laughs in some scenes. Mm, mm-hmm. Like, like in particular, like in the scene, like right before the final concert, when Al is like, oh, it's definitely Flash. Oh, yeah. Or Dwayne. Yeah. Or blah, 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 blah. Definitely Dwayne. Oh, it's definitely uh, Flash. Oh, it's definitely, yeah, no, you're right. You're right. Yeah. And, and so, like, the last couple episodes, like, they didn't know whether they wanted to be comedy or drama. And I feel like A Hunting We Will Go knows exactly what kind of episode Yeah, it is. I think you're absolutely right. Uh, so for that, I, 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 I'm looking forward to talking about yeah. it next Yeah, week. and it's worth noting, um, which we'll dive into a little bit deeper, but that woman that you see him handcuffed to is Jane Sibbett, who played Carol on Friends, who was Ross's first wife. Oh. Yeah. I, I never got into Friends. Oh. And the thing is, like, I, I should have because I really enjoyed Jennifer Aniston in the episode of Quantum Leap. She oh, totally. In the last yeah, season. yeah. Uh, pre pre but, nose uh, job, Jennifer Aniston. By the way, did she get a yeah. nose job? Yeah, just wait until you see her in that episode, and then you compare. I mean, like, I even like saw a picture of her online, like as recently as today, like from that episode, and I, it just never. Yeah. Not that there's anything never, wrong with that. I never. Do you know, like? For a lot of like younger like teens and twenty somethings, like Friends is the it show right now. Oh, I know. Here, it's funny that you mentioned that because uh, I I guess um, my um, sister in law's boyfriend had been listening to like a podcast or something like that, and they were talking about the fact that Friends makes Warner Brothers a billion dollars a year still, like now, like recently, and that off of the royalties that the Friends actors themselves are making twenty million dollars a year. Yeah. But that's that. that's nothing good for them. That's nothing though. When you think about it, the, by the final two seasons, they were making two million an episode. They were pulling in almost fifty million dollars a year. Were, I, I did read something recently, and I'd read this before, but rereading it, I was reminded of it. Like one of the great things that the actors did on that yeah. show, the ensemble did, is that when they were due for their first contract renegotiation, David Swimmer uh, went to the group and he suggested, like, instead of like con- uh, negotiating individually. And potentially, you know, some of them not getting paid as much as the other, and that leads to bitterness and people leaving the show. He suggested that they all negotiate as a group, so they all got paid the exact same thing for the rest of the series. And so, like, that kept them all happy. Yeah. Because, God forbid, we would have gotten a coin Vance situation. (laughs) Three people. (sighs) Three people know what we're talking about and two of them are right just here. some good old boys, <laughs> boys. yeah <laughs> oh man that's great um so anyway there you have it there's some friends some friends talk for you but um yeah i'm looking forward to hunting we will go uh and and frankly i'm looking forward to the rest of this season um i don't i don't know how hard of a champion's gonna come off but uh we've got a good run here you know hunting we will go last dance before an execution heart of a champion nuclear family and shock theater and uh, those last two in particular um i i can say confidently are very good so um yeah, yeah. uh I, I remember last dance being very yes good. it is uh being very powerful um heart of a champion Nuclear Family, I'm interested in revisiting because I didn't care for much for that episode when I was a kid. Mm, okay, but I just don't think like the subject matter like connected with me as a sure. kid. Uh, as a, as an adult, I think it's gonna. Yeah. It, it in my memory, and I have not seen it in quite a while. It's probably been over ten years. 
Um, but in my memory, I think I kind of place it in the same, in a similar space as Thou Shalt Not. Um, not, not, okay. not quality-wise necessarily, but just the type of episode that it is. For sure. Speaking of, of families and bunkers, this is a huge tangent. Uh, have you seen 10 Cloverfield Lane yet? I'm not. With John Goodman? No. Do yourself a favor. All right. Maybe do that in conjunction of rewatching Nuclear Family. Okay. Go watch 10 Cloverfield Lane. Uh, that's probably the best thing I've ever seen John Goodman nice. do. Counting the Big Lebowski. Watch this. I'm going to take it all the way back to the top of the episode. He is fantastic in Treme. He is amazing. He's in Treme, the show that I was talking about earlier, that um, mm-hmm. David Simon, the guy that did The Wire, did for HBO. That uh, takes place in New Orleans okay. after Katrina. He is fucking incredible in that as well. I'll have to check yeah. that out. I'm looking forward to seeing him in the Connors. I oh see I yes I didn't know what they were doing I knew that they were that it was coming back but I didn't know what they were doing with it. Uh, basically, I, I don't know how they're going to do it, but they're writing Roseanne yeah. out, um, which seemed impossible at first because Roseanne has is so emotionally tied to that right. show that a lot of people had a problem with the show going on even without her in the cast because she's still going to be making money off of it. But somehow, some deal got worked out. Uh, I didn't watch any of the revival. Neither did I, which is weird because I kind of I was very excited about it at first, but then I was just kind of like, oh, "I'll watch it at some point," and then everything happened, and I was just sort of like, "I don't even know. I don't. I don't know what to do." Yeah, but anyway, yeah, I'm just kind of interested to see how they how they yeah. do. Yeah. Anyway, but back to Quantum Leap and out of Quantum Leap, we should probably get out of here for the week. And uh, yeah, well let's let's say uh, let's say those magic words. Let's uh, leap out of here. Let's leap out of here. Thank you, everyone, for listening. And especially if you've never done it before, this is particularly the episode you need to hang around all the way through the end credits and listen to Fate's Wise Right. I'm just a traveler. Traveler. <laughs> all right. See you next week, right. everyone. Bye bye. Bye bye. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. If you enjoyed what you've heard or have any questions or comments, don't be shy. Reach out to us online at fwwquantumleappod.com or Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook at Fates Wide Wheel. And remember to hit the subscribe button and leave us a review on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever you may be listening. Until next time. See